Hello and welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. Today with me I have Catalina. You want to say hi? Hello everyone. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm super excited about having Catalina. Um, as her and I just talked about for the last like 20 minutes, <laughs> she has a podcast called Connected Adventist Podcast that I listen to and I just super enjoy listening to her and she's also a social work student like me and I feel I connect to her a lot. And so I'm super happy to have her here today, but we're going to pray and then she's going to start telling us her story. All right. So dear Lord, please be with Catalina and I, as we record this episode, please just help the words that we need to share to be shared, help the people that need to hear them to hear them and just be with us and let your Holy Spirit be with us as we do this. Amen. All right. So I must say we have a a great combination between social work and we like podcasting and thrift shopping I'm like meant to be yeah we have a lot in common was, so where yeah. are you from though Catalina you want to tell everybody yeah so I'm from Australia and I'm from the state of Queensland and I'm in a semi-rural town called Jin Jin which honestly is nowhere in Australia. Everyone, most people don't know where Jinjin is. I have to tell them the closest city so that they understand where we are. Um, so yeah, I'm in semi-rural area, but we have Wi-Fi, and basically, I'm like, well, the world is still accessible, even though I'm in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I also live in a small town. It's well, I don't even live in the town. It's about 600 people, and sometimes, yes, people are like, oh where is that? And I'm like, um. I'm like, it's close to Lewiston. And they're like, okay, but I'm, it's really, it's not. It's like two hours from Lewiston, but, <laughs> they, yeah. but they can't, yeah. It's as close as I, they can. I get. slowly work, I work my way further out. So there's, there's a city that's close by, which is Bundaberg, which uh-huh. is where um, we make the Bundaberg ginger beer. So I've seen some um, American friends who drink that. So okay. the, um, it's like root beer. Mm-hmm. So there's Bundaberg, and then if people don't know where Bundaberg, then I go to, like, the next city out, which is Rockhampton, which is, like, six oh, – no, it's, like, four and a half hours from here. Mm-hmm. So I just work my way up until – and then if they don't know that, I'm, like – it's sort of, like, going up to Cairns, uh, so people sort of familiar with the Great Barrier Reef. So, yeah, I slowly work my way out until uh-huh. someone's, like, oh, yeah, I don't know where that is. <laughs> yep, I've, I've definitely been there and done that. I'm, like, do you know where this is? No, okay, this? Nope. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and then until at one point, I'm like, okay, you just don't, you just don't know. <laughs> may not be hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I can relate. Um, all right, and so tell us about your religious background. Did you go grow up in a Christian home, or what did that look like? Yeah, so my parents. Um, so I am. I was born in Chile, South America, and oh. basically, you know, it's a big big statement to make but most South American countries you're basically born Catholic uh, which was my story so my parents are Catholic they still profess to be Catholics but uh, within any Christian religion and and, and, in any religion really you have varying degrees of what your faith looks like and how that is reflected in your life and so the way that my parents faith was reflected in their life is that we attended uh, mass twice a year so it was either Christmas and Easter and that was as much as of what our spiritual influence was in our lives. And I remember my dad would always pray every morning. He would make the sign of the cross as we were reversing out of our driveway, which I just assumed as dads asked God to be with us um, today. But r- other than that, there really wasn't 
much else to faith and Christianity. Mm. But at the age of 14, I started uh, becoming, it was actually before, so it was probably like around 13, 12, Mm -hmm. 13, that I started becoming very rebellious. And my mom was like, you know, you're going to be pregnant and in jail by the age of 16. Oh, well. Hanging out with the wrong crowd. Yeah. Started shoplifting. And I remember mom called me out on one of my biggest shoplifting halls where um, there was just a whole bunch of stuff. My friend and I had decided that that day we were going to try and see who could steal the most. Oh, no. And yeah. So I came out with a whole bunch of stuff and my mom's like, where did you get this all from? And I'm like, oh, Renee gave it to me, my best friend. She's like, Renee doesn't have money to give you so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And then that's where it basically came undone. And then um, she was sharing with a friend who attended the Seventh-day Adventist church that, you know, I was going down this path and, you know, what's going to be of me. And this lady was like, let me take her to church. She can hang around like, you know, a Christian youth group and it might be good for her. And then there's a boy there. And there's always a boy. (laughs) Those boys, I tell you. And then, yeah, basically she's like, I can start taking her to church. Uh, with me and she did so I started going to church and yeah there was a pretty cool youth group and there was a pretty good looking boy there as well and then that was at the age of 14 and so I basically began attending um, church every week but I must say it was I think at that age you know as as social workers we've we study a little bit about lifespan development and the stages that people go through in their lives and I think at that point I just was wanting to have like a group of friends that I could hang out with and so church was very much a social um benefit I guess Mm -hmm. to my life and that's what it brought to my life rather than it being a faith but at the same time as I was associating more with their youth group I felt a really strong pull to to the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist church as people were sharing with me what they did share with me I was just astounded I'm like oh wow you guys read the bible because it was so (laughs) different to what I experienced Mm. as a Christian um within my family like you just we didn't own a bible but these people read their bible and they read their bibles all the time and they know like all the books like they don't just read from one section they go from front to back and and back again wow I, I was definitely impressed by the biblical understanding and how everything I questioned or everything I wanted to understand was always brought back to me from the Bible. And that's where I guess a little bit of of my exposure to a Christianity, biblical Christianity came in. Um, And yeah, I just had a really good group of youth that were there to sort of support me and to, I guess, to really mold my identity in a positive way compared to what I was getting uh, from my friends at school. Yeah. I think that's awesome though. Cause like, sometimes when we like start our journey towards God or start like even sort of stepping in that direction, it's often not for the right reason. Like for you, it was kind of cause your mom pushed you there. And then like, because of the social aspect, but God, he uses like, whatever it is, he's like, ah, you're coming. Yeah, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I mean, he's like, like, I can use he's this. Like, I've been looking for you for a really long time. I've been waiting. Here you are. <laughs> yep, exactly. And he's like, here's my opportunity. And he uses it, even if we're there for the wrong reason. He's like, it's it's okay. Yeah. And, and I think that just shows how powerful any type of ministry can be. Mm. Uh, you know, when we look at the body of Christ and and we see the head and we see the arms and the fingers and the toes, 
And sometimes we can think, you know, we're not giving out Bible studies or we're not preaching sermons or we don't have a podcast or whatever it is that um, that internal dialogue that we have. But God is like, I just needed young kids to be friendly. Mm. Like, and, and that was what brought about a sense of family, a sense of belonging to me was that there was just a bunch of young kids that were really friendly and that just invited me to things. And that was enough for me to be at a place where I was like, you know, I, I want to consider this thing. And, and it is only by God's grace that at 36, uh, from 14 to 36, I have been in a position where I have known God. Mm-hmm. Um, I have understood God. I have uh, been in, you know, my Bible and studying things out and, and trying to find things for myself because there was a group of kids who were willing to just be friendly. That's and, so awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's the power of, of anything that we do. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so awesome. I know it's it's because it's like the Bible says, you know, you got to be faithful in the little things. And yeah, sometimes being nice to people feels like a little thing, but it's important. Yeah, it is so important. Never underestimate the work that you you may perceive as being like a little toe. Um, or really insignificant, but God's like, no, actually, that is just as powerful as the man that gets up and preaches every week. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's so good. And so um, you just talked about um, how from 14 to 36, you're still here now in the church. Um, but from listening to your podcast, I know there was a time you talked about um, how you thought about leaving the church. Do you want to share a little bit about that? It got messy. Like, it got <laughs> so, so messy. Um, and look, there are, there are definitely different reasons why it got messy. And mm-hmm. I guess if I'm truly honest, there was just very, there was, there was complexity to the reason why I was where I was. And I think sometimes when we have been brought up in the church and, and I say that I've been brought up in the church because I feel that it's still a significant part of my development, um, that occurred within the church. I think there comes a point where when we have grown up in the church that we all need to have our own personal conversion. Mm-hmm. And that conversion can come through different avenues. It can come in different ways. And I believe that for me personally, because church had been a social thing, I never made a decision to say, I didn't wake up one week and be like, I'm going to church because I want to go there to be with my Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, church was always like, Oh, what's on this week? What are we doing? Um, what activities on? It was always, for that reason that that's why I went to church every week and then that just slowly sort of evolved into oh I'm going to church because they need me because now I'm participating so I'm going to church this week because I have responsibilities I have to show up and 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 do the things that I've been asked to do and then 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 it goes from a period where oh I just have to show up because that's just what we do so there was a lot of reasons why I would go to church every week. And there came a point uh, probably about two years ago where I was like, you know what, God, like, I don't know if, if I really want to do this. And um, the, the things that were attached to that were a few things. Um, there had been um, a bad friendship within the church. Mm. Um, and I realized I was like, I can't trust any human ever, even if they claim to be Adventists, um, which was really quite painful because until that point, I don't think I had ever experienced like so, so much betrayal and pain from a church member. Mm-hmm. I had always, just, I guess, managed to avoid all of that drama. 
um, which isn't everyone's case. But for me, for my case, like for my story, I definitely was able to avoid a lot of that. And I, this was the first time that I had experienced just so much junk from um, a friendship uh, within the church context. And because of that, I was a little annoyed with God and I was like, God, like, you know, why would you allow this to happen? I'm like, I, I, my intentions were to help people, to always be there for people, uh, to let people be part of my family. I always make people be included in my family and make sure that they feel like they're part of my family. I'm like, I felt I had invested so much um, in the best for this particular person. And I'm like, and then they go and do that to me. I'm like, mm-hmm. So I dealt with that and I was like, God, why didn't you stop that? Why didn't you protect me from that? Why didn't you avoid that situation? Why did I have to experience that pain? Mm-hmm. when I was trying to do what was right. I felt and, I was trying to do what you were leading me to. Yeah, and that's, like, really hard, especially, like, it being a church member, like, because, like, like as members of, like, mm-hmm. church or, like, as followers of Christ, like, we are, like, representatives of, like, Christ and stuff. And, like, maybe not so much for you, but, like, when somebody in the church, like, rejects you or, like, hurts you, like, it's a reflection to Christ for some people. They're, like, would Christ do that to me? Like, if a Christian, like, if this church member that I thought was, like, a big part of the church is going to do this to me. Like, will Christ do the same to me? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the beginning of me getting to a point where I was like, God, I don't know if I can trust you. And now Mm. looking back on it, you know, it's like two, three years after I realized God was trying to show me my junk. Mm. Um, So like in Psalm 51, it says that God desires a broken and contrite spirit. He's mm-hmm. like, I want a broken heart. I want a heart that is at its most vulnerable. Like that, that's a sacrifice to me. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of that process. And obviously I, I through that process and through the beginning of that, I guess, I realized I have a victim mentality. I realized that I don't like to take accountability for a lot of things. I, I do like to just blame it on someone else. And that was the dialogue, you know, God, I was doing what was best for them. And God's like, were you really (laughs) like, were you really, or were you doing what was best for them? Because it actually fed into your codependency. And I was like, what, God, how dare you? You know, this is not, this is all for Jesus. And, and God was like, no, I need you to see beyond this. I need you to see beyond that person's behavior and beyond their way of, of doing their life and the choices that they make. And I need you to be accountable for why this has impacted you so deeply. And it's like, because you're codependent, because you have trust issues, because you seek approval from people and you do nice things because you want people to like you back. Mm-hmm. And, and as I wrestled with that, and I, and I can only, I can honestly say that all that revelation only came to me really, you know, at the closest point where I was ready to just turn my back on God. But ultimately I came from blaming other people, blaming this particular person, um, writing a list of all the things that I had done for them and, and you know, how I didn't deserve mm. this and, and why should I get this and how it was God's fault because God should have intervened and stopped this and, um, made it so that I wasn't so gullible and fell for so much stuff, whatever, you know, yeah. it, it was all God's fault. And God's like, no, you know, actually I need you to be responsible for this because when I look back on it now, God's like, I actually did try to pull you away mm. from that. I did try to help you. But you were like, no, let me save the day because I'm codependent like that and everyone needs my <laughs> help. Um, 
which I'm like, no wonder I'm in social work. <laughs> I want to get paid. I want to get paid to be codependent. Um, uh, but, I relate. <laughs> but I will say now, I look at it and I'm like, God, I'm probably at the healthiest place to be in social work because now I'm so much more aware of my issues. I'm so mm. much more aware of how I interact with people who are broken, who are damaged. Um people who have experienced abandonment. I'm like, I'll be the faithful one who will never, you know, reject you and abandon you. I will be there no matter how much you treat me like rubbish and all that stuff. I've I've seen how I respond to that. And now I think I'm probably at the safest place uh, to go into that. So, um, yeah, God really showed me my heart and he showed me my codependency and my need for relationships Um, my dysfunctional need for relationships, specifically friendships. I realized in my own kind of way, I had carried stuff around from when um, I was in high school, Mm -hmm. uh, when I was 12. And Mm -hmm. I was quite suicidal over something that had happened with a friend and some bullying at school. And I realized that this event now with this church person had triggered all that sort of stuff. Mm, Yeah, And then the betrayal had triggered other stuff uh, that was related to my 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 adulthood, um, and I was like, "Oh, okay, this thing is massive because it's triggering other uh, two separate events in my life that I have not processed, I have not dealt with, and because of that, it just magnified this particular situation with this church member." But God's like, "No, you've got other stuff that's that has caused this thing to be so massive." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like that because you, about you're saying about the contrite heart about God. He, he uses that brokenness. He used that brokenness to address issues that you didn't want to address and you didn't want to deal with. And he's like, you have to, sometimes we have to come to those places of being broken and realizing like, God, I'm at the point of giving up. And, and he's like, okay, now that you, you, now that you can give up, now that you're giving it to me, I can step in and I can show you what's going on and how I can help. Yeah. yeah. And I think <clears throat> for me personally, in having the brokenness of my heart, exposed and understanding just how profound I was taking not only this but then after that there was another incident where I was like God like you are so not trustworthy I Mm. I realized I'm like this was slowly breaking down through and exposing the reality that I did not trust God I trust God because up until now everything had worked to my advantage everything had been really smooth I can Mm -hmm. honestly tell you as a Christian my life was really, really smooth. Like it was just ideal. Um, there was something that happened when I was 21, which I sort of had to deal with. That was probably the only real traumatic um, experience you could say um, that I had to deal with emotionally. But other than that, I'm like, this was really sweet. So as I went into that, you know, I was looking at um, God needed to search my heart and see if there was any wicked way in it. Um, Mm. as it says in Psalms. And as I went into that, after my heart was broken, God's like, let me show you what was in there. Mm. And that's where God began revealing this codependency, uh, dysfunctional needs for friendships. He started showing me a lot of things. And I was like, you know what, God? I'm like, I don't think I want to see this. And it was a really painful journey of being like, what on earth? Like, Mm. I did not know. Like, this is what everything was attached to. And as God searched my heart and he revealed the things that I didn't want to see, I just got to a point where I was like, what is my faith even worth? Like, mm. what is the point? of it? If this is what you're showing me, 
Like, why am I even here? Why do I profess to be a Christian? Why do I show up at church? Why do I have a podcast? Because all of this was happening through my podcast. And I was like, I'm just going to do this journey with my podcast. So everyone knew where I was at. Um, I feel it must have been really climactic at points because they would have been like, I wonder if she's going to come back the next week. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, um, Yeah, it was pretty full on, but it made me get to a point where I was like, okay, God, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in one of my podcast episodes, I compare it to like renewing your marriage vows. It was sitting down with God and saying, do we want to continue? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done this for, you know, the last, you know, 20 something years. Do we want to go into this again? And I feel like at Mount Sinai, when uh, God brought Israel out of Babylon, he's like, all right, you guys have been living a certain type of way. Like, do you guys really want to? go into this again and that's where we have the renewing of God's covenant with God's people and I feel that that was exactly where I was with God two almost three years ago it's like God let's sit down let's see what what's on the table what we have to offer each other and do we really want to go into this Mm. and that I believe was my second conversion because my first conversion at the age of 21 came through a situation where I had nothing but God Mm-hmm. God was all I could depend on. But this second situation now, this covenant, this second renewal of this covenant with God at the age of whatever it was, 33, 34, was like, you know what, God? I don't know if I trust you. Like, I know you're all I have. I believe in you. I have total faith in you. I never doubted the existence of God. I never doubted what God has done. I never doubted that he was the creator of the universe, that he was the redeemer of the world. Didn't never doubted any of that, but what I did doubt was whether he was trustworthy mm-hmm. because he'd allowed things to get messy with that church member. And now he was bringing me to another point of like disappointment, which was accepting the fact that I wasn't going to be in full time ministry with my family. Mm-hmm. And that for me, who obviously is a workaholic when it comes to ministry, that was another really painful. I felt like that was like the last, the last that I could take. Um, and as I processed through that, I realized, you know what? I don't trust you. And I don't believe that you have the best for me. And I don't believe that you are guiding me in a way that I can honestly see that this is the best for me. And so I doubted that God was trustworthy. And I doubted mm-hmm. that he really was doing what was best for me because it was just overwhelmingly um, just so painful to experience the, the disappointment of, of not being in ministry with my family. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I've been there like you're like God this is the plan and I feel this is the way you're leading me and then just like when God is closes the door and you have to take a step back because I when I started my master's I was all set to go on at the school that I was at and I was like yes this is God's opening the doors I got a scholarship that I was really excited about and I was like yes it's and it was only for that school and I was like yes this is this is it God and then right before God closed the doors and he's like no you're not ready to start yeah. right now you're not in the place like this isn't where I want you and that was a hard struggle to accept like how can God this is what I wanted this is where I was going it's hard to accept it when God changes your path and you're like no no give me back what I wanted give me back what I thought I had yeah and and I think that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that I think I went into with with processing all of that 
is that I had always, I mean, there were definitely signs. So I always tell people, I'm like, my husband was offered seven positions to go into full-time ministry, six positions. And the seventh one was to send a resume and apply for the job. Mm -hmm. Um, But apart from that, he was actually, he was actually given churches. He's like, do you want to go to this church? Um, And so for me, in my understanding and in me, you know, looking at how God is leading, I was like, you know what? He wants us in ministry. Like who gets off at six positions to just go to a church? My husband had no professional pastoring um, experience. He hadn't studied theology. Like he was offered positions even before he had done a rise um, through Light Bearer Ministries. So I'm like, for me, in my own perception of things, I'm like, we are going to be a ministry family. And I love that. Like. Mm-hmm. I, I love ministry. I love service. And I was just so sure that that was what was going to happen with our lives. And then when God finally said to me, he's like, I'm sorry, but no, ministry is not going to happen. And I think it's, it didn't happen because of a lot of factors, contributing factors. But ultimately, God was like, I need you to understand that this is not going to happen. It may happen in six years from now, 10 years from now. It may happen at some point, but I need you to understand now. You need to deal with that. And I feel like it was like the great disappointment of whatever that year was, 2000. <laughs> and um, it was devastating. I think for, for me, it was just living my life, knowing that at some point we're going to be a pastoring family and we'll be able to contribute to a church. And, and I do that to my church already. Like <clears throat> I'm involved in a lot of things in my church as it is. So it's not like anything was going to change and that I wasn't involved in my church and I was just waiting for ministry and then I would be involved. Like I've always been heavily involved in all my churches. So, but it was just this idea of my husband will be in full-time ministry and that will be his focus. Like he'll wake up for ministry and go to sleep for ministry and then I'll be able to support that. So that was, that broke it. Like when God showed me that, I was like, God, that's it. Like Mm -hmm. you cannot, you've already taken, you know, this, this idea of like church is safe, church members are safe. You've taken that. I'm like, and now you're taking away the one thing that honestly I look forward to and I have hope in. Now you're taking that. And I was like, God, you're just, yeah. I'm like, how can I honestly trust you? Yeah. It's like a, a good dad giving, taking away their child's like favorite toy. I'm mm-hmm. like, you've just taken it away and now you want me to like trust you? Yeah. So as I processed that and dealt with that, there was a lot of stuff that I found out about myself and I realized when I potentially was at a point where I was like, you know what, God, I don't think I want to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. I don't think I want to live a Christian life. And I don't want my life to revolve and reflect you. I realized that the level of what my heart is capable of without God was very scary. Mm. Um, I realized that the the potential of my life without God and it wasn't a, a good place to be. And I remember one day I was thinking about one thing and, and I'm where I'm sitting right now and I'm looking out the window and I'm like, God, like if I didn't, if I wasn't a Christian, the way that I would live my life would be like this. And, and, and I, I guess I fantasized of what my life would look like in the absence of God, in the absence of any type of, I guess, accountability, um, in the absence of anything Christ-like. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I, I fantasized about this scenario. And then I remember I'm like, 
But then I would move on to this next thing. And, and as I realized, and I'm sitting looking out the window and I'm, I'm, I've got this scenario that I fantasized about that I'd be doing this and, you know, I, w- I would make these career choices and I would make like these relationship choices and um, I, I would move to different areas. I wouldn't care because wherever we move, we're always like considered of what church is there. Like everything in our life has always been so dependent on our faith. So I'm like, I'll move wherever I want. Like there's this scenario that I had was like, this was it. And then I, I realized, oh, but then in this aspect of my life, I could probably end up here and then I would move out further this way. And I realized that when we live without Christ and there is no boundaries, there is no distinction of right and wrong, light and darkness, sin and righteousness. Some of us, I don't know what everyone else would be like, but I know some of us, we will just go to the darkest place. Mm-hmm. Instead of being half in the light, we will just, our personality and maybe, you know, our, our inherited sin will take us to the places that are, they seem scary. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I projected my life without God, I was like, God, it's a scary place to be for me without you. Mm-hmm. And I realized that God had really provided so much for me in terms of protection, in terms of um, definitely guiding me and keeping me on the safe path. Mm-hmm. And yeah, at that morning I made the decision where I'm like, you know what, God, we'll, we'll continue on. Like, um, yeah, we'll do yeah. this. That's so awesome. I think I like that journey through that. Cause I know like I sometimes like do not like with God, but just, just like different lives in my life the choices in my life I'm like if I do this then this will happen and this will happen and just you know looking at everything but like I like how you are able to come to see that like basically that God's laws and like God's like restrictions that he puts on us is not is not necessarily restrictions like to keep you from having fun or to keep you from doing all these things it's it's protecting you and like mm. holding you in a safe place and yeah I think because yeah. like and, and, and honestly, I think when you're in a position where you're ready to let go of all that faith resembles um, and in whatever way, you know, that is, however it is, I know the battles that I was going through at that time, but there is no limit. There is no, there, nothing, there is nothing to stop you from the wickedness of our hearts. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we run such a big risk of, yeah, ending up in places that we would have never thought we would have end up end up in, and and making decisions and living our lives in a way that we would be like, wow, I had no idea that this was be would would be my path. Um, so I do believe that in that, the restrictions and the boundaries and the protection that God places through His Word. He knows what he's doing and he knows that some of us, and and I remember discussing this once, you know, there are some people who don't need to know the speed limit or they don't need to go past a speed limit to know what the speed limit is. Mm. There are some people who their nature is, I'm happy to abide by the law. And there are other people who they just need that reminder. They need those signs, do not speed. (laughs) And they need constant, um, things to trigger us to make the right choice and Mm -hmm. I feel that the reason why the Bible is the way that it is because God needed to cover all of us he's like let me make sure this is clear for all of you so that none of you are confused none of you don't know what (laughs) is right and what is righteous he's like let me make this really clear 
but maybe not all of us need that, but I am myself and my personality and what I saw of myself as God, you know, revealed to me the wickedness of my heart. I was like, that's why you have that. That's why you you have that passage that tells us to, to live a certain type of way. And, and I realized that that is why God has given us his word, because some of us need a bit more clarity. Maybe mm-hmm. he could have like just done the Ten Commandments and that would have been enough. But God's like, no, some of you just take a little longer to learn those lessons. So I'm going to give you a whole bunch of examples of people who lived their life just like you, who thought it would be okay. Um, and I want you to see how their story turned out. Um, but ultimately, the story of the Bible is God. Um, and at the end of all of that, when I realized the condition of my heart, when I realized how little I trusted God, when I realized that my codependency on people, why I'm a nice person, was actually not for the most genuine reasons, why I allowed people to walk over me was because I just wasn't able to stand up to the point where if you don't like it, just walk away. And um, I wanted people to stay when God showed me all the stuff and, and I guess the biggest stuff was that I didn't trust him at the end, God is like, but even if you were that wicked, even if you did leave me and go and live those lives that you, you fantasized about and go and live in those areas and, you know, do all the stuff that you, you fantasize about. He's like, I'd still love you the same. Mm. And he's like, and I would still want you and Mm. I would still have great plans for you. And that was the greatest revelation that God's like, you know what? Even if you didn't eat the way you eat, dress the way you dress, talk the way you talk, spend the amount of hours that you do in service, even if you did none of that, he's like, I'd still love you just like Mm. I love you today when you do all the things that you do for me. He's like, because my love will always remain the same. I'm like, but your reason for loving me is the only thing that changes. And I came out of that with this idea of like such a liberating love, such a love that is like, When we, as humans, we place so many expectations on people to fulfill certain criteria and then we'll love you and then we'll love you deeply or then we'll trust you deeply, God's like, please don't distort my love the way that you have made love to be. He's like, even if you treated me as bad as people treat you, I would still love you and Mm. it would still be the same. But you, you vary with your love. Your degrees of love are based on what you get and whether people have earned it. He's like, you don't need to earn my love. Like it's, mm. it's there. Um, and that was, that was really sweet. And I'm like, how can I say no to that? Yeah. Uh, so after that, I was just like, yeah, God, let's, let's continue. And we're going to continue differently. That's such a great real- realization to like come to. Like that's so beautiful. God's mm. love. It just really is. That's awesome. Um, but so yeah, we I think we talked a lot about that. Do you have like any other stories that you wanted to share about like how you've seen God working in your life? Um, I think look for me personally, I have so I've always been involved in ministry mm-hmm. um, in one way or another, whether it's you know through community work, uh, through just friendship evangelism, whether it's been door knocking, uh, doing Bible studies at evangelist. I've I've done it all. And I have honestly seen God's power in so many ways. I have seen that God is real and that God is good in so many ways. I've seen the beauty of his character in so many ways that I I cannot deny that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's one thing to observe it in others and it's another to experience it for yourself. And for me personally, like where I'm sitting right now in the quietness of my study, 
um, as the sun is rising. It's been here sitting in this room when it's still dark, crying, um, writing out all these letters I'm going to send to all these people that have hurt me and how I'm going to tell them how it is. And then just sitting there and being like, but God, show me me, mm-hmm. show me my heart and really see where I can take responsibility for a lot of the pain that I have experienced throughout my whole life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God, let me, let me, let me be vulnerable and let me expose my heart before you that I have seen the greatest amount um, of God's goodness. As I've sat and done that hard work, um, I haven't done therapy, um, but this was my therapy. Mm-hmm. I, I dealt with stuff that I haven't wanted to deal with. I've I've looked at myself really objectively, very critically to see, hey, hold on, wait up. Why do I do this? Why, why do I go to community events? And, and why do I want to, you know, profess my faith so much? Is it honestly, sincerely, because I want to give glory to you? Is there other things that are attached to it? Um, again, do I show up for church because I just want people to see that I'm, I'm religious, I'm Christian, I'm dedicated? So there was a lot of stuff that I did. And, and I, for me personally, in this chapter of my life, as much as I have seen that God is good and God is real in so many aspects of everyone else's life, it has been through this, this hardest two years. And, and I, for nine months, like I cried every day. Oh, wow. um, I, I was a homeschooling mom at the time. So I had my two daughters with me. Um, they would have been so like nine and eight. And I remember they just got used to seeing me going to sleep during the day. And it was because I was crying and I didn't want to be walking around crying with them. So I'd be like, mom's just going to go for a little bit of a sleep. And, and I got to the point where I would just go to sleep mm. um, because I just needed to turn my mind off because there was so much pain and there was so much stuff that I was trying to process. And that was like nine months of going through that. And that was really intense. I, I don't know where I was going to end up at the end of all of that but now to look look on that and see that chapter I realize the painfulness of placing our trust and placing our emotions and our hopes and our dreams on people rather than allowing God to be all of that so coming out of all of that and going through my therapy sessions um, here by myself in silence with God or on my (laughs) podcast which is my also my second <laughs> therapy. Uh, in going through that, I, I have seen the goodness of my God um, and how real he is in my life in this quiet time, in the haunting silence of my heart and my mind in the presence of God. And I will be honest, I've been angry with God and God knows like we just really, we're just honest with each other like that. Like he knows I tell him how it is and how I feel and how I think and what I perceive. And God's like, it's okay. Like, I get you. You just don't know me. Mm. Um, And I've gotten to know him and know the goodness of his heart in a way that I don't think I would have ever understood had I not gone through the stuff that I've gone through in the past few years, which like they say, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you look back on like the worst chapters of your life and you'll be like, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like I would still walk that and go through that because it has brought you to a place where you have seen things that you wouldn't have seen. And for me personally, it has allowed me to see my God and my Savior in a way that I would have never seen it had I been on the other side of those nine months. Oh, that's so awesome. 
Yeah, it's it's always hard to go through it, but then, like you're saying, sometimes it is a blessing, and I think that's there's a Bible verse about that. God works all things together for the good of those yeah. who love and serve Him. And it's true, and we just have to hold God to it. I remember just like yelling Bible verses at him. I'm like, you say your love. What kind of love is this? Aww. I'm like, you say to trust you. How can I trust you? Look what's happened in my life. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm like, God, you claim a lot of things about yourself, and I'm going to hold you accountable to that mm. until I get to a point where I see it. And then mm. I have. I have honestly seen it. That's awesome. Well, unless you've got any more stories you want to share, we have. You know me. I could do a three-hour episode, but let's I know, not do that. I know you could. Well, we can encourage everybody to um, jump over to Catalina's podcast and listen to it because she shares so much on there, and like all of it's so good. And like honestly, I would have her share everything <laughs> like so much. Um, but like she says, we don't want to do three hours. So you guys can hop over and I and can do three it. hours. Trust me. If she can, <laughs> you, you have episodes and I'm like, how long is this? I think it's going to take up more than my hour drive. <laughs> one, of those, one of those one hour episodes again. And I'm trying to do 30 minutes and I'm still like end up 45 minutes, 50 minutes. <laughs> I know. Camus and I started out. We're like, yeah, well, 30 minutes. And then like my second, my second person I recorded because I recorded a Camus and then somebody else. And I'm like, it was like an hour and 20 minutes. And I'm like, well, yeah. I can cut it down to an hour, but it's not going to be 30 minutes. <laughs> and yeah. so we yeah. just came to the realization yeah. that it's going to be 30 minutes to an hour and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So. Hence but, the fact that I have two part episodes for some <laughs> of the people that I interview and they're an hour each. And then I'm like, okay, we better wrap this up. Otherwise we'll end up with a three part series. <laughs> Uh, well thank you for sharing I loved it um thank you so much for having me keep up the awesome work that you're doing I love that you are sharing stories uh, so that people can see that God is such a good God um, even in the midst of all our stuff and that yeah hopefully people can come out of it and be like you know what if God is so real to them let me find out how real he can be in my life I love Mm. it I love that I love that thought thank you And thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. Um, Tune in next week for the Christmas episode. Bye. Also, wait, here's kind of a random snippet from the beginning of Catalina's and I's conversation before we started the podcast. I started recording like mid-conversation, so it's kind of like a little out of context, but her and I were just kind of like talking about how we both love clothes and thrift store shopping, even though both of us might have more than enough clothes. probably do um so just a little thought on that as we were talking about together before um give it a listen uh it or not being i've realized like there's a lot of psychological stuff attached to it mm-hmm. um and I-, I tell people like like my friends and stuff i tell them the way that i the way that i look is probably the one thing i can control in my life mm-hmm. my life can be a mess an emotional mess between my family my kids and my own personal stuff but i can go out and look fabulous mm-hmm. and i feel like there's a sense of control that comes from that and i find a lot of value in the fact that as long as i can control that one aspect of my life that i can pull off a nice outfit and then people will be like, oh, I love your skirt. And I'll be like, it was two bucks. I'm like, Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like that, that gives me my, my worth, my high. It makes me happy. Like, 
Yeah. And I realized like there's a lot of dysfunctional reasons as to why I have so much clothes. Yeah, no, and I don't I'm, think I'm ready. I've acknowledged it, but I don't think I'm ready to give up, give it up yet. Yeah, I slowed down on shopping a lot um, for a lot of different reasons, but yeah, but no, I completely relate because like like you're saying, it's so easy to like because I struggle with like um, depression and stuff, and so it's so easy like when you're having a bad day to just like okay, well I can't mm-hmm. control like how I feel, but I can control that I look nice. And then I love what you say, like, yeah, it was $2. I've done that so many times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it was $3. I got it, like, at Goodwill. And, yeah. Yep. Um, but I we agree. should start heading in the direction yeah. of 